And welcome everyone to week two of the fourth quarter comeback podcast. We are here to bring you the best in drunken fantasy football content and regular football content. I am Six Pack Pat. You can find me at Six Pack Pat with the number six on Twitter. And as always, my faithful friend from New York, Red Zone Rick. Rick, how you doing today? I'm feeling a little under the weather, Pat, so please, I'm not up for your shit today. I would feel a little under the weather, too, if my team was 0-2 in the past, what, five days or so, but we'll get to that later. Right now, we're going to move on to the week two of it all. So first up, Rick, we have trouble in Steeltown. Pittsburgh, great sports franchise town. Steelers, one of the more consistent franchises of all time, really. But there seems to be a lot of issues stemming from the Steelers' clubhouse. Mike Tomlin seems to have lost control of the team, not necessarily the support of the team, but things are kind of going haywire. We got Le'Veon Bell holding out. God knows when he's coming back. We don't know what the situation is there. I figure he's more likely to be traded eventually. We have the Antonio Brown trade talks going on. It's not really trade talks, but he tweeted out that he trade me and we'll find out. There's all kinds of issues. Rick, what do you think's going on with Pittsburgh? Wow. Pittsburgh's all fucked up, Pat. Tomlin needs to get in front of this right now, or he's going to lose his job. Tomlin's never been an X's and O's coach to me anyway. He's always been kind of like the disciplinarian that just builds the culture in the team, and he's just had good coaching around him that helps him get by. You understand what I'm saying? But Tomlin needs to get ahead of this drama now. First of all, Antonio Brown has no discipline. This we know dating back to the Facebook Live video that he took back in the locker room. Everyone knows in football that the locker room is sacred. You don't take videos inside the locker room and post them, especially when the coach is talking to you about what's going to happen next week and next week's game and things like that. So he should have jumped in front of this a long time ago. To be honest, I think um, the Steelers on the field are showing signs of missing maybe on Bell. You can see it. It's like apparent Ben Roethlisberger doesn't have his security blanket out there. And, and you can see it. He's relying on Antonio Brown too much. They're doubling him with bracket coverage. And it's giving them problems. It's giving them problems. Uh, he's not going to anyone else besides Brown and Schuster. You know, James Conner had the good week one. But once you put Pittsburgh in the hole, that's it. He's like kind of out of the game. And that's the dynamic that they're missing from Le'Veon Bell. So they need to get in front of this now. Either... We're going to get Bell back in here, or we're going to make a trade. We're I gonna... do agree, but is there really any bringing Bell back at this point? I mean, there's such uh, alienation going on in that locker room. The teammates that are coming out, his linemen, his own linemen are speaking. Well, you don't got to bring him back. You don't got to bring him back, but you got to do something. You got to get something back for him. We definitely we need do assets. have to take action. Action does seem to be the thing that Tomlin seems to be missing out. You got to get a hold of this. You got to get a hold of this team. This is supposed to be your team. Like I said, he's never been an X's and O's coach. He's not going to win games outsmarting the other coach. That's not his forte. His forte is team discipline, culture that he brings to the to the team. That's what Tomlin brings. He's going to suffer now without the players in place. He's suffering now without Le'Veon. He's going to suffer now with, you know, Antonio Brown and, and his, you know, anger and frustration towards the team. It's showing. It's coming out. And, you know, this, this all leads me to think, like, are the Steelers done? Like, are we looking at the end of the Steelers next year? Are we going to see Ben Roethlisberger? Are we going to see Antonio Brown? Are we going to see Le'Veon Bell, you know, in Pittsburgh? I'm thinking no. 
I'm they thinking are that, set for a pretty cataclysmic fall here. I, I'm thinking I, that this might be I, over. I liken it to what happened with Seattle's defense, once proud defense, the Legion of Boom, and yeah. look how that all just fell apart so quickly. So the same thing could happen to Pittsburgh's offense. The fact of the matter is there seems to be some kind of culture shift going on in Pittsburgh, and I don't think it's for the better. I haven't lost faith in Tomlin. Like you said, Connor is just not a long-term solution as a Le'Veon Bell replacement. They're going to have to move on from Bell soon. Just ship him to a different team. Get rid of that whole mindset that's lingering. We kind of saw how that worked on the Cowboys last year when Zeke was going to be suspended and they weren't sure what was going on because it was up in the air. you got to cut ties with Bell. Move along. Get a good draft pick. Yeah. Build for the future. Get something back from him. You know, even if you're going to get a, a, a decent player back, you know, to keep the offense rolling, you got to get something. You can't just sit on Bell. Or keep moving, pick another quarterback option for the future. You know what I mean? There there are a lot of different options because Roethlisberger isn't long for this league. He's been talking retirement for the past few years. He Listen, is after not going to be tweet, sticking around for that much longer. After that tweet came out, Antonio Brown, you know, the whole trade me and let's find out, that's when I decided, like, if I was in charge of the Steelers, i just blow the whole thing up. I'm trading Le'Veon Bell. I'm trading Antonio Brown. I'm trying to get back first-round picks for both of those guys. I'm letting Ben Roethlisberger ride off into the sun by himself. See you later, Ben. Have a good one. And we're starting from scratch. I feel you're going fir- to get first for Brown. I'm not sold that you're going to get that for Bell. It's not a talent not. thing. It's Maybe. not a talent thing. It's just It's just the positional thing. Yeah, it's the positional thing where running backs are always interchangeable. But like I said, Bell brings a different dynamic. You know how I feel about running backs that can catch the ball and run the ball. Uh, I think Bell is still top two back in the league behind Gurley, if if not maybe number one. He's been a little injury prone. You know, we want to get him on the field and don't get these stupid suspensions to start off the season. You got to, you know, you got to get shake that moniker. That's part of why you're not getting paid. But like I said, if I'm the Steelers, I'm trading them off. I'm seeing what I can get for him. I'm seeing what I can get for Brown. And I'm starting from scratch next season. He did show up finally. He didn't show up to the meetings on Monday, but he did show up to practice. He talked to the reporters. He said everything's okay. He doesn't really want to be traded. Rosenhaus, his agent, said the idea that he was asking for a trade is just not accurate. So now Antonio Brown seems to be okay in Pittsburgh. We'll have to monitor the situation going forward and see how it plays out. For what it's worth, Steelers... No wins through two games. Last time that happened was in 2013, and they did not make the playoffs that year. So it could be a rocky road for Pittsburgh this year, especially after letting Pat Mahomes go for 326 yards and six touchdowns. They have Tampa this week with (laughs) Fitzmagic, and I don't mean Minka Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick throwing for 819 yards, eight touchdowns, one pick on the season. They could be in some more trouble this week. Start the season 0-2-1 that's going to be time possibly for Pittsburgh to hit the panic button because they're not used to that kind of losing to start the year. Like I said, after that tweet, it's all downhill from here. And isn't it crazy that we've had two of the same situation sort of happen within a week of itself? The Ian O'Connor and his book, Belichick, and what he quoted from an assistant coach on, on the Patriots team saying that the coaches didn't think that Brady was all world. Exactly. And that brings us up next to Brady and Belichick and all the drama going on in New England. Obviously, they seem to have kissed and made up a little bit, but 
According to the book from Ian O'Connor named Belichick, some Patriot assistant coaches don't see Tom Brady as a special quarterback. They see him more as a system quarterback, and he excels because of Belichick and the system that they have in place. Obviously, Robert Kraft, the owner, the guy that pays the bills, so he's the one that's going to make the decisions at the end of the day. And the fans all think that Brady is a golden god. But apparently, a lot of the Patriots' assistant coaches and the staff figure that with a top 15 quarterback, they could have accomplished the same things that Tom Brady accomplished. What do you think about that? I think it's true. I think that maybe they wouldn't have won five Super Bowls like Brady did, you know, which is a testament to Brady just being on the field all the time, basically, except for the season that he missed and the four-game suspension. You know, he's Brady is a good player. Let's let's be honest. Well, that's what that's not in doubt. So he technically would be a top fifteen quarterback, maybe if he wasn't on the Patriots. So they've been doing it with a good quarterback for a very long time, and they've done it without him. So I think that I think that it could be Belichick, little more than Brady. You know, Belichick seems to have always had success with quarterbacks, no matter who they are on the Patriots. He did it with Castle. Yeah, they didn't make the playoffs that year, but they were eleven and five. And they were in the running for the playoffs. You know, when Brady went went through his four-game suspension, Garoppolo came in and filled in admirably, and even Brissett came in and played well. I think that quarterbacks just have success in Bill Belichick's dink-and-dunk system. It's an easy system. He puts the players in place for you that you need, you know. It's like every year he's recycling a new slot wide receiver, and it's like, how does he do this? How does, you know, he, he how does he build Wes Welkers all over again every season? But that's what Belichick does season after season. So it's hard for me to say who it's because of. I would have to lean towards Belichick. I think that Agreed. he's uh, just going to get it with done. With Belichick's system in place there, it's just, it's been one of the best systems in history. You can even see it with guys like Ryan Mallett, Brian Hoyer. They even got chances at starting jobs elsewhere just from being the backup in New England. You see how many quarterbacks come through the system. They play very well in New England, very well. And they go elsewhere, and they're pretty much the drizzling shits. So we have to see how that works out. Now, Brady reportedly was worried that Belichick would end up bailing out on him. He figured he wanted to cut him as everybody always says, one year early rather than one year late. Supposedly, Brady was actually considering, quote-unquote, divorcing Belichick and trying to get away from the team before Belichick could make the move. Also, the team was upset with Belichick over the Malcolm Butler benching in the Super Bowl, and that divided the locker room a little bit. Do you think that we see, with a possible locker room divide, obviously they probably mended fences to go into the season, they don't want to fight in front of the kids, but... Do you think that the locker room is going to blow up a little bit between the Brady camp and the Belichick camp? I fucking hope so. <laughs> and soon. It's only a matter of time. You know, even if Tom Brady doesn't want a divorce, he's gone soon. Father time doesn't lose. He just won a couple more rounds with Tom Brady. That's all. Let's make it happen already. Words from a desperate Jets fan. There's a funny little story in the book by Ian O'Connor, Belichick, out in stores now. There's a story Belichick used to play lacrosse back in the day, so he took one of his teammates' sticks and he tampered with it a little bit. He brought the stick back to his teammate and he said, hey, it's not legal, but it'll make you catch the ball a lot better. You told him if the ref comes over to check it out, just pull on this little string, it'll make it look legal, it'll get cleared, and then once the ref walks away, just pull the string again and you'll be good to go. 
if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. That's got to be Belichick's motto. He's thought it all his life. Fucking God. He's he's done all this stuff over his career, but he's got the results to prove it. So it doesn't really matter at the end of the day, I guess, except for the fan perception and the media perception of him. But he's got the rings. So was he wrong? Of course he's fucking wrong. He's cheating. What you just told me was Bill Belichick has been a cheater since the beginning, since before football. Of course he's wrong. Well, you got to get practice in, Rick. With that said, no matter how the situation works itself out, they do seem to be working okay right now. Took a tough loss this week with the Jaguars beating the Patriots 31-20. to That sends the Patriots down to 1-1. One and one. Jaguars are up to 2-0. and oh. So, Patriots have a little bit of work to do. Obviously, they're not going to panic. They normally win the AFC East in a runaway, but it may be a little tougher this year. The gap is starting to close, which I know you're more than happy about. We can go from there and that game of the week to another game of the week, and that is the Minnesota Vikings and the Green Bay Packers. Oh, my God. Did they rob the Packers or what? They robbed the Packers like a thief in the night. Packers seem to have the win sealed, but a terrible... Rough in the passer call on Clay Matthews gave the Vikings all the ammunition they needed to go forward and get the 29-29 tie. And then the league doubled down on the call. Come on. Oh, that? my God. The league is killing me with these new uh, quarterback safety rules. I mean, I get it. You know, you don't want to slam the quarterback down. You want to prevent broken collarbones. You want to keep the stars in the game. But Jesus Christ, some of these guys are big, 6'5", 240 pounds, 250 pounds. What are you supposed to do? Lay them down? Tell them, excuse me, sir, could you please uh, up, fall? Tell them a bedtime story, <laughs> nestle them could quietly you please fall? bed. It's getting ridiculous. We need to uh, establish some kind of some kind of in-between where, you know, that was a textbook tackle. Shoulder, he didn't use his head, he wrapped up, he let him go as they were going to the ground. You, you, you cost the Packers a game. Terrible. Terrible call. I agree. So you cost the Packers the game, you know, with that flag. It wasn't really a flag. It was a textbook tackle, like I just explained. And that play in itself was a game-ending interception, which gave them more life. They score the touchdown. They get the two-point conversion. And still the Packers come down before – you know, the ending of the fourth quarter and have a chance to win the game with a field goal. Mason Crosby pulls it to the left. We go to overtime. The new overtime rules, which if anyone hasn't noticed, is killing the NFL already. <laughs> I don't know why the hell they fucking changed the rules, but they did. And they shouldn't have because it's killing us. We've seen two ties back-to-back weeks, all because they fucking changed the rule. This is incredible. The NFL is just, they're killing the game a little bit, Pat. It's, it's sad to say, but they're killing the game a little bit, you know? And and uh, just real quick, going back to the Packers and Vikings, I'm not sold on Cousins. Like, people are saying, you know, he, he made some plays. I mean, yeah, he made some plays, but he he threw the game away almost twice. You know, if the Packers can get a touchdown after the Clinton Dix interception, that's game over. If that's not a flag on the field on Clay Matthews, that's game over with another interception. So I'm kind of questioning Kirk Cousins right now. 
Very true, and I do worry about Dalvin Cook's durability as well. He's a talented young yeah, running helps. back, but he's just having some issues with staying on the field, staying healthy, and I do not trust Latavius Murray to carry the load at all. He is a solid back. He's not a workhorse running back, and he can't get the job done. He doesn't run hard for a guy his size. I'm not really sure that with... The running game being as messy as it is right now with the possibility of falling off and Cousins not excelling right off the bat. The Vikings, I don't have them as high as I would because they would be just 1-1 one one instead of 1-0-1. Oh and, and I don't know that the Vikings are on top of their game just yet. They're going to get better as the season goes on. It's, it seemed to me like the Packers were in control of the game. It, it just Completely looked like... Agree. It just looked like Aaron Rodgers was totally in control of the game. You know, that vaunted Minnesota defense didn't look like it had an answer for anything that Aaron Rodgers was throwing at it. I don't know. I'm just not sold on Cousins at the moment, and I'm not sold on the Vikings in particular. Like they you just alluded to. A ref assisted 22 point fourth quarter to get a tie with a division rival. They're going to have to do better to get as far as they want to get, which is the Super Bowl. All right, next up on the fourth quarter comeback, we have issues going on with Eric Dickerson, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Eric Dickerson called for a boycott this week of the Hall of Fame ceremonies, but not everyone was on board with that decision. Apparently they want a salary and health insurance benefits for all former players of the NFL. The NFL not acquiescing to those demands, obviously. How much of this is negotiation, Rick, and how much of it is actual demand. Because to me, I think wanting health insurance benefits completely reasonable. I believe every team in the league should be giving into a fund and the NFL should be putting forward health insurance benefits for all former players going forward, not just the Hall of Fame players. I know that Dickerson said that was just a way to get a jumping off point to start the conversation but we need to get all players involved. Maybe there's a tier for time served and that kind of thing, but there has to be health insurance for former players. That's just the way it needs to go, especially with all the different CTE and all the different medical research that keeps piling up through the years that we haven't had in the past. And who knows, today's medical knowledge could be completely obsolete in a few years, and then that will be the new standard. So we need to make sure that we're always scaling up and giving former players health insurance. I do think the uh, annual salary is absolutely ludicrous. They should not have to pay an annual salary for former players that just couldn't save their money, couldn't invest wisely, and just blew it all. What do you think? I agree with the sentiment, with both of your sentiments, actually. I agree that they need to have the conversation and get these players some health insurance. You know, we've known for a long time about life after the NFL. We've all seen stories of people that just, you know, disintegrate, if you will, after football. You know, now with all the new findings with CTE and things like that, I think it's definitely a good idea to get these guys some health insurance. You know, let's get this ball rolling. Let's try to come out with some preventive measures to try to prevent some of these things that, you know, are ailing our players if we can. And, you know, let's jump ahead of that. As far as, you know, annual salaries, now they're pushing it. Yeah. Like you said, you made a certain amount of money when you played. It's up to you to 
save your money. People that aren't top tier players and aren't going to make money, well, you know, you guys should really have a backup plan to fall back on, you know, to have money when you're when you're out of the NFL. You exactly. Know Those are the guys that should have been paying attention in class, you know? Yeah. And the guys that are talking now are all Hall of Famers. They were the best to do it in their era. So it's not like they weren't being paid top dollar for their era. I mean, it, there's a big disparity in the errors and how much who got paid, but this is why I always say, man, it's not just about sports. You got to learn. You got to you gotta be able to invest your money properly, open up businesses, make sure you got some kind of income for after football. You know, after football is a rough life. Everything just breaks down after a while. And now we know that your brain breaks down after a while. So That is a sad but true statement on the NFL. But they do need to step up. They do need to take care of their players with health insurance. They do not have to continue paying them. After they've retired, guys like Kurt Warner and Jerry Rice that were on the list and originally were agreeing with the sentiment have dropped out of their support for the whole thing. Once Dickerson called for the boycott, he seems to be trying to do this all by himself. I don't know why. It's poor decision Do you know if Dickerson is broke? Maybe that's why he's trying to I highly doubt that Eric Dickerson is broke. All right, next up, we have a little bit of a FanDuel dispute. FanDuel changed their odds as the Broncos marched down the field, and it kills me to say, to defeat the Raiders. They were going down and getting into field goal range. Just as they were doing that, they changed the odds. Unfortunately, it was supposed to be 1-6, in six or they were negative 600. Unfortunately, the, there was an error in the computer system, it glitched out and was 750 to 1 or plus 75,000. So, New Jersey man placed a $110 bet. He should have won $18.35 on it, but instead won $82,610. Unfortunately, FanDuel sees it in their terms of service that they are well within their rights to not pay this out. So they are refusing payment. They did offer the fan $500 and tickets to three Giants games, but the fan rejected that offer. He's now looking forward to sue them and try to get paid out the entire 82000 According to New Jersey betting rules, you can't just change a line unilaterally. Rick, what do you think? Uh, this is crazy. Uh, you know, me being the guy, I want my money. Me being FanDuel, if it's in my terms of service that I can not pay you this money, then guess what? You agree to the terms of service. You are legally binded to that. So I would have just taken what they were offering. I mean, I would have tried to negotiate it a little bit, you know, maybe a little more than 500 What's what's your negotiation there? You should have won $18.00. Instead, you're thinking you should win $82,000. What's your negotiation? What are you accepting? What are you demanding from FanDuel to make it all go away? I would I would negotiate a little more than $500. i would say, give me, you know, give me a grand, and I'll take the tickets. And I probably would have walked off with that happily. See, I think I'd play a little bit more of a hardball situation. Maybe I win, maybe I lose. I don't know. I hold out for maybe like three, four grand, and 
make that $1,000 for each game, I'd hold out for four game tickets. So four grand and a couple of game boxes. Shit, I'd probably uh, exchange the boxes for on-the-field passes. Like, that would be something I would try to negotiate. Like, can I be behind the bench? <laughs> How about that? <laughs> Either way, not a very good situation. Not great public relations for FanDuel. I'll be on DraftKings this weekend. All right, next up we have the inaugural edition of the fourth quarter comebacks. Power rankings. These are the rankings as we see them, the top five teams in the league at the current moment. Rick, who are your top five power ranked teams? So my number one team in the league right now would have to be the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think their defense is strong. They're the best team in the league in my eyes if Bortles keeps playing the way he's playing. Followed by the Rams. The Rams' defense is tough. We all know this, and their offense is explosive when it needs to be. Uh, the third-place team is going to be the Green Bay Packers. I think the Green Bay Packers are primed to go far in the playoffs this year. I like Aaron Rodgers. I think he controls the game every time he's in the game. After that, it's going to be the Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City Chiefs are looking great. Pat Mahomes is looking like, ooh-wee. I think Andy Reid is definitely still the quarterback whisperer. And Kansas City is going to look tough down the stretch with all the playmakers they have on offense. My fifth team, and I'm really not sold on this team. I just think that they're there right now because I haven't seen anything else from anyone else. Is going to be the Minnesota Vikings. I think that defense is still stout, but they do have question marks on the offensive side of the ball that doesn't completely sell me. So I was going to have the Vikings on my list as well, but unfortunately they just missed out. I feel like they just got by with a tie, like we said earlier. It didn't look fantastic. Like you were saying, Cousins, the running game, I'm not buying into them entirely yet, so they're just going to miss out on my rankings. But at number one, I have the Rams. Rams, obviously, running game, passing game, defense, they have it all. Jags, pretty much the same thing. Bortles stepping up, receivers showing out a little bit. Fournette, if he can come back healthy, the defense is solid. We know that much, so the Jags... Number two, the Packers, Rodgers, as long as he's out there, they have a chance, and they're still my Super Bowl favorite. He does need to stay healthy. That knee needs to recover. But the Packers are at number three. The Chiefs are my number four team. Like you said, Mahomes is balling out right now. I don't think he's going to keep up this pace, but the good thing about it is he has Watkins, he has Kelsey, he has Hill, and even better, he has Hunt to rely on. He can fall back on. Once the passing game falls off, they don't start putting up six touchdowns every week. They'll be able to run the ball a little more steadily. Last but not least, eh, actually are pretty least, but power ranking by week, I have to go with what I see. I'm taking the Bucks. The Bucks are my number five team right now. Holy shit. <laughs> Listen, the <laughs> NFC South is winnable every year. I understand the Falcons, the Panthers, the Saints, they're all tough teams, but you know how the NFC South cycles You can't believe, out. you can't possibly believe that Fitzpatrick is going to keep this in up. in Fitzmagic. No, I believe it man. to be true. So long as he's throwing up 400 yards a week and winning games, he has the Steelers this week. They could start 3-0. and Great jump start in that division. The Bucks. until I don't see it, I have to say it, they're my number five team. Next up on the fourth quarter comeback, this is your fantasy stock watch of the week. Unfortunately, Rick has retired. He is retirement, Rick. After the last segment, he's just disappeared. He is gone from the show. I don't know what to do without him, but I will make these picks without him. And here we go. My first buy of the week is the Bears defense. 
Go get the Bears' defense. They have 10 sacks, 2 interceptions, 2 fumbles, 5 forced fumbles, and 2 touchdowns. The Bears' defense will be a top 3 defense all year. Go get them if you can get them at a reasonable price. Or if they're somehow on your waiver wire, scoop them up. If somebody is foolish enough to drop them, roster them. They are worth it. Trust me, they've helped me win a few tough weeks of my own. Next, they've got Joe Mixon. He's going to be out for a couple of weeks, but after a minor procedure, they found out his MCL is a little bit bruised up. He's got 179 rushing yards and a touchdown, six catches for 57 yards. I like him. I like Joe Mixon. I feel like he's a top caliber back. He's a guy that if you can go out, if someone's scared of owning him through this injury and they don't think he's coming back, then make a move, pick him up. Side note, if you have room, make sure you snagged up Giovanni Bernard. He's going to be a good replacement for Mixon over the next few weeks. He'll be great in your flex spot, might help you to win a few games. After that, I've got Tyler Lockett. Listen, guys, Doug Baldwin, he's inconsistent right now. He's hurt. Tyler Lockett's averaging 60 yards and a touchdown each week. He's likely to be playing from behind because the Seahawks are just not that good and their defense is a mess. So, yes, he has a couple of tough matchups coming up in Week 4 against Patrick Peterson and the Cardinals and Week 5 against the Rams in that secondary. But other than that, I like his matchups. I like his situation. Go for Tyler Lockett. Since Rick retired right before the picks, I'm going to give you an extra one right here, and that's John Brown in Baltimore. I'm not a huge Michael Crabtree fan. I feel like Flacco is getting a good rapport with John Brown. He's got seven catches for 136 yards and two touchdowns. He's getting a touchdown each week. I like what he's doing. John Brown could be solid. I think he's coming on. He's going to improve every week. Now we have to go to the bad part of the story. We need to tell you who to sell. I am all out on Royce Freeman, as I normally would be with Broncos players. But Royce Freeman has 99 yards and a touchdown on the season. That's even with giving him the bulk of the goal line carries. I would try to sell him to any Philip Lindsay owners that are out there looking for the balance between the running backs in Denver, because who knows how it's going to pan out. You still have a little time to sell high on Royce Freeman. Next on the list, I have Peyton Barber. I do not like Peyton Barber. Not necessarily as a human being, but as a fantasy player, I don't see him as being relevant. I think a lot of people jumped in on him really early, thinking he'd be the feature back since they drafted Ronald Jones kind of high, but he didn't seem to be panning out in training camp. I don't believe that Peyton Barber is going to be able to carry the load, especially with Tampa Bay's offense really going to work in the air with Fitzmagic. So I don't see Peyton Barber getting it done. He had 16 rushes for 22 yards this week. He's not getting it done in the air. One reception, seven yards. If you can sell Peyton Barber, then do it. I doubt you're going to be able to get much in return, maybe in a package deal. Last but not least, Aaron Rodgers. Love him. Obviously, we covered it last week. We covered it during the segment with the Vikings-Packers game. But as much as I love Aaron Rodgers, the knee on the string doesn't work for me. He's performing. He's doing really well. He's going to give you good performances. But wouldn't you rather find another quarterback since there's such quarterback depth out there? Get somebody that can get you equivalent points and trade off the name of Aaron Rodgers for a pretty good player that you can stable in. At least a high running back two, a high wide receiver two, maybe even a low-end wide receiver one RB1. So sell Aaron Rodgers right now while you can. 
And this just in now, uh, Rick, breaking news, actually, on the fourth quarter comeback. Breaking news is FanDuel apparently decided to pay up. They realized it was horrible publicity, and they are going to pay the whole amount, the $82,000. They are saying, this one's on us. Enjoy it, guys. Have fun. So to FanDuel, I say, fuck you. Thank you for wasting our time. And now to close out our week two show is actually a little bit of week three action. We were a little behind this week. We apologize for that. But what it did give us was the sense of seeing how week three started. Week three, we had the Cleveland Browns take on the New York Jets. Rick, I know you're hurting today because unfortunately your Jets kind of blew it at the end. Broadway Baker took over Cleveland and he has won. He finally got a win on the board for the city of Cleveland. My favorite place because let the Bud Light stream with those free beer fridges. I have to ask, what do you think about Baker versus Darnold? Should the Jets have done more to move up and make sure they got what some are saying is the better quarterback. Well, first I'll start by saying that, yeah, we blew it. We totally blew the game. We were up 14 zip, 14 three at half with the ball at halftime. Um, I wasn't too happy with the play calling. I felt like we were really, really predictable. I felt like just to sum it up, it was kind of like run, run screen. That was like our offense. But I guess that that's something in house that they got to get together and figure it out. You know, pay, the play calling could be a lot better. But um, as far as trading up higher to get Mayfield or, you know, what the people are saying now about Mayfield being the better quarterback, first of all, this was the overall consensus, obviously, in Cleveland, if they picked him before they picked Arnold. Second off, I think that they played very similar first games of their careers. If you think about it, go back to the stats. Mayfield was 17 of 23 for 201 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, one fumble, wasn't recovered by the Jets, but it still goes down in the stat sheet as a fumble. Darnold's first game, he was 16 of 21 for 198 yards, two touchdowns and one interception. So essentially, Mayfield threw for three more yards, didn't score any touchdowns in the air when Darnold scored twice. Mayfield had the fumble. It wasn't picked up by the Jets, but it's still a fumble, and Darnold had the interception. Darnold came away with a win. Mayfield came away with a win. Mayfield came in different circumstances where it was more on him to pass the ball. He had more of an opportunity to show himself, especially coming against the Jets, playing three games in 11 days. So I think, you know, they came out pretty similar. So all this Baker hype is Baker better than Darnold after one game. Like, let's pump the brakes. Well, the, right? the, the but, situation, too, is very different. I mean, the Browns are coming off of, what, 600-plus winless days. So everybody's going to buy in as Baker is the savior because he finally delivered a win. But wasn't Darnold the savior Monday night when we beat the Lions? Like, yeah, we had good defensive play. But the defense didn't really pull away, and the special teams didn't really start to pull away until the second half. Darnold kept us in the game. He threw his touchdowns in the first half. You know, like I don't this... disagree with that part of it all. Obviously, yes, 
Darnold was crowned just as Baker was crowned. The one thing, the one thing that incoming heroes. The one thing that was like really like good for optics, I guess, if you're a Cleveland fan, is that the place was rocking. And this would have been the same case if the Jets played their first game at home. So all of this, you know, is is Darnold better than Mayfield or is Mayfield better than Darnold? Listen, there's no film on Mayfield yet. This is his first week. Finally got some film on him. Darnold's been in the mix for three weeks now. I think we should all just kind of reserve our judgment until we see more. I really wish that the, the coaches would just let Sam Darnold throw the ball. I think that will deflate the Darnold balloon a little bit if they start off one in three. I believe that that huge spike they got in mentality and fan reception after week one is going to be deflated just a little bit. Obviously, people still are going to believe. Everybody's still going to be high on Darnold. Darnold has a long way to go. And for my money, am I a Baker believer? I don't know. I... I don't have anything pegged on Baker yet. I think he's a solid quarterback. I don't think he's going to be a world beater. He's not going to be the best guy in the league. Could he be a top half of the league quarterback? Yes. Darnold, I believe, has the better road ahead of him. I think he'll end up being the better quarterback overall, statistically, wins-wise. Baker's a good inspiration guy, but we've seen quarterbacks come in early, do the whole rah-rah of it all, lead their team back. And then that dissipating in the end because the ripple eventually disappears. You know what I mean? So he's causing a big impact now. But once he comes out and he loses to, I don't know, say the Raiders next week, obviously they're going to go downhill a little bit. They're going to start losing momentum. So yes, they're riding high right now, but Cleveland's a long way out. All right, guys, thanks for listening to us. That's going to be it for our week two show. We hope you enjoyed it, and thank you for coming back. For myself and Rick, we hope you follow us. You can find us at 4QC Show on Twitter. You can find me at 6 Pat with the number 6 on Twitter, and you can find Rick at Rick Red Zone on Twitter as well. You can also find us on our Facebook page, Fourth Quarter Comeback, We hope to find you all there, and thank you for listening. Time for the parting shot, and our parting shot is make sure you save your Super Bowl halftime shits because Maroon 5 is the halftime show. Good night, everybody. 